We're going to jump into our series here called the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes, if you missed last week, is the first part in Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament of your Bible of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you don't know, the Sermon on the Mount was the longest sermon that Jesus gave. Now, some people, when they, when they portray it in picture, they make like Jesus just brought them there and had them sit for 72 hours. But that's really not the case. Most people think, most theologians think that it actually took place over a span of a couple days. So kind of in the version of like we used to have here, like the three or four night um, special meetings or revival services where they would come and hear, hear Jesus talk. But these, are, these statements, though, he makes eight. Some people divide them into nine, but we're going to do them for the sake of this series into eight. Um, there's eight statements that are really countercultural. They really go against what the world would say. And in some cases, sadly, they go against what some people think as Christians. And in our Christian culture, because we've just kind of uh, made it say what we want it to say. So it's not really being true to what Jesus was talking about. These statements allow us to, to say to people, I can have joy even on a bad day. I, I can find joy that's within me that's not circumstantial even when life's not going well. Last week, these eight, I told you, I gave you this, uh, these two things. These eight statements do two things. First, they point toward the only source of true happiness. The only, tr- the only source. Secondly, that we learn that God always has more, more on the table. God's put this table of life in front of us. And as good as we think we may have it, there's more. Even when we don't, things aren't good, we need to understand that God has life for us on the table. We're going to study this one here in Matthew chapter 4 where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, comforted shows up here. And what I really personalize it is because God says he knows the hair on my head. He knew me before I was created that... I think God does show up for us individually in unique ways. He knows what ministers to me. He knows how to speak to me as a son differently than he may speak to you as a son or a daughter. But the problem that we run into with this one is that when we hear this word mourn, we automatically go to a situation that, you sh- that is legitimate mourning, a death of somebody. But this word actually doesn't just include just that. That word mourn is more encompasses the the bad day. The worst the kind of the more of the bad days of life all the way through to the, the tragic days of life. Things that we don't uh, that nobody wishes for, that nobody plans, but the reality of the world is we go through it. And that word comforted really can be mean too that, that God can he draws you in close. That when the poo hits the proverbial fan, God's not backing up from us going, oh, you're on your own. Literally, the Bible tells us that God is drawing us in, that God is showing up, and it may be in a unique way. This statement by Jesus is saying this, you can have happiness even on your worst days because this is what you'll experience. Even on your worst days, you'll experience provision, purpose, And the best thing I think of all of it is you'll experience the presence of God. 
Now, if you've, ever, if, if you've never been in a position in your Christian walk where you hit a low day, you hit a tragic day, maybe some terrible news, I go back for us, if you've been here a while, you've heard me say this before, but I remember sitting in that little corner office in the Statesboro Hospital and the neurologist, not neurologist, the, uh, the uh, I don't know, the doctor came in with Emma, he's one of those ologist specials, and he began to tell us that Emma had this uh, micro deletion, the Williams syndrome, and I thought he was kidding. It's like, ha, 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 my name's last name William, yeah, ha, ha, yeah. And then I realized he was serious. And we went from first-time parents excited to, what's up, God? Really? And it was in that moment, or those moments following that, that God got to me, not directly, because I was too, I was angry. It's like, really, God, we give our lives to serve you and follow you and reach Sylvania and really and it wasn't until Melanie came and began to tell me no God told me he's going to provide God told me she has a purpose and God told me he's never going to leave us or forsake us and she brought me in but I was definitely in this this morning stage of this is not right some of you may be in those I don't know who this is for but even thinking about it this week some of you may be in one of those days right now like, you're glad you got up out of bed and got here this morning. If, if that's you, then thank God you did because you're here for a good one. See, I want to ask you this morning, even if that's you, if you're going through those times, I want you to, to scooch a little space in your heart. Like, move some furniture around. Make a little space for God just to land this morning. And, and open your ears and listen. If you're not, if you think, Clint, things are good for me, I'm not in mourning, then you need to take notes and file this away because we all will walk through this at some point. We're all going to need to lean in to the provision, purpose, and presence of God. See, this statement, again, goes even against our Christian culture. And it does that because we always tell you, if you have a, if you have a problem, you need to have a lot of what? Starts with the letter F. Faith. Okay, well, Clint, I've got faith. And then we almost project to you that, well, if you have faith, then you don't have any problems. Now, let me ask you who have been saved for more than 15 minutes, and those of you who would say, I have faith, do you still have problems? Yeah. Yes. See, there's nothing easy about being a Christian. A lot, of, a lot of people will tell you that you get saved and it's all sunshine, rainbows, and skittles, that everything just works out. But the fact of the matter is we still live in a, in a crazy world that's full of sin. You see, it's really to say I have faith and there's no pain and no bad days. Honestly, it's bad theology. If you don't know what theology is, it's, just, it's bad biblical understanding. It's bad God understanding because that's not what God says. You see, our assumption is that bad things shouldn't happen to good people. Right? I get asked that all the time. Why is why such bad things happening to such a good person? And my answer is, all I can tell you is we live in a bad world. And there are people out there in the world who do evil. And they do evil things. 
But you know, the Bible never promised us, again, sunshine, rainbows, and Skittles. We say things like, I can't believe God would let that happen. Now you need to hear me on this. and Come back next week and I'll have some good jokes. We'll laugh. But this, is, this is one of those Sundays where I really want you to feel, I want you to feel the weight of what God's done for us. Because then once you feel it, you can begin to see what he's removing. And the freedom he brings you. You got to hear me on this. God does not cause or send tragedy into your life. This is a rabbit trail, and I planned it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And I want you to get this. I know this because the Bible says that Jesus came and died for my sins, died for my trespasses. He, he came so that I could have life and life more abundantly. Jesus paid for all of the mess. So therefore, God can't put that mess on us. Why? Because it's been paid for. Now, Put a pin right there. Do we still live in a, in a fallen world where bad things happen? Yes. yes. If you don't believe me, turn on your news, uh, your, your news source of choice. Watch it for 15 minutes, and they will tell you a story about somebody good who had something terrible happen to them, or a tragic accident, or a tragic, what if, what if somebody's sick, or somebody died, or some of those things. But see, he, the Bible says he doesn't cause it. But there's a verse in the New Testament that says, but he works all things out for the good of those who love them. See, what I think, we, want, we ask the question, why didn't God show up? But what I really think we're missing is I think God shows up way more than we see. So there's things that would have happened in my life that I'll never know about because God, his grace and his mercy and his divine hand helped me, protected me, guided me. Whereas if he, if he had never done that, Life on earth would be infinitely worse. As tragic, tragic as our, our things are now, it would be infinitely worse because if God didn't show up, I truly believe he's him, God, and his angels are working behind the scenes. The Bible says, actually says this in the New Testament of God's spirit, that it goes before me, making a way in the world, going ahead of me. So I think we change our perspective. And that's why God says, hey, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, tell me, how in the heck do you go from mourning, the bad days of life, to comforted? And that word comforted actually can mean comforting. In other words, it's a verb. So I, Clint, I'm going through a bad day and, and mourning that there's God in me can take me to a place where I'm not only comforted, but I'm also comforting other people. And that is exactly what the gospel says to do. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews. He's talking about Christians. It said, there were others who are tortured. There's your life verse for today. <laughs> Just put that one on your verse. Nobody picks these verses to put on their mirror. Look what it says. Some faced jeers, flogging, even chains. They locked them up. And the next verse, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Bad days, right? Not, not good days to write home about. Yet, now these are Christians now. These were all commended for their faith. Yet not one of them received what had been promised. It didn't say they weren't going to receive it. It says they hadn't received it. 
And in verse 40, since God had planned, and I highlight it and say this with me, God had planned something. Come on, say that again. God had planned something better. See, the Bible never tells us that life is going to just be easy, that we're just going to skate through. But he does say, I've got something better for you. Well, then some people would say, and they've said to me before, God, it's just not, it's not fair. It's not fair. That person, they're getting what you promised them, and they, maybe they seem blessed to me, but I'm not. Well, let me give you a bit of wisdom I give my girls quite often when they say, well, why, Daddy, it's not fair. I give them this exact thing. God's not fair. You don't want to play fair. Because if it's fair, it's not going to be good for us. God is grace and mercy. God gives us what we don't deserve in a Savior, and in mercy withholds the judgment and the penalty of sin that we do deserve. Because the truth, is, the truth of the matter is, and the reason that this goes against our culture, is that you don't want to play the fair game. You don't want to play that with God. Because what that translates to is this. Fair means you have to pay for your own sin. Because it wasn't fair that Jesus, the sinless man, son of God, went to the cross and died for all of us. That wasn't fair. But he did it willingly. So we can go and walk through those bad times. And I'm not saying it makes them go away. Or sometimes maybe even not easier. But we can walk through them with the comfort and the peace and the joy of knowing Hey, God's done this for me, and he's going to get me through it. You see, look what Paul says. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.18. And he says, The Lord will, will rescue me from every evil attack, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. See, God will rescue you. It doesn't say you're not going to go through it. It says he's not going to leave you there. He's not going to leave you there to, to wither away. The Bible says he will rescue you. And that looks different in every situation. And he, he brings this out. It never says we won't go through it. Truthfully, I think it's this. I think God says, okay, I see this. You're going through this. And the way he uses it is he develops us. He makes us mature. And we say, people say, well, that's not, why, why does God do that? doesn't sound right. Well, you do the same thing with your kids, right? Or at least you should. When your kids mess up or are in a bad spot, shouldn't that misbehavior be used to help them see the error of their ways? I, I was talking to one of the guys one day, and I remember, I remember my, we were talking about disciplining our kids. And I remember my grandfather who was an electrician, who's an electrical contractor when I was little, like, okay, you want to stick that fork in the outlet, go ahead. Right? Anybody else done that besides me? As a kid, like, you want to stick it in there, go ahead. He was knowledgeable enough to know it wasn't going to hurt me or kill me, but it was going to hurt me, and it would be the one and only time I do it. So that bad decision, that bad place I put myself in, he was using it to make me a little wiser. And we should be doing that with our kids. It's called development, maturity, discipline. See, but a strong, maturing Christian, when that happens, 
we can lean into those bad days a little closer, lean into God, because it's trust. But see, here's the other thing. Mourning those bad days bother us, because number two, we also think bad days means I messed up. I've messed up. Now, there is a half truth, there's truth on both sides of this coin. You break a law, steal something, whatever your, the sin is, even if nobody else knows about it, there are repercussions. And some of those repercussions do bring on bad days. If you've ever made a bad decision, ended up in jail, you've had a bad day. Hopefully, again, you learn from it, you mature, and you don't do it again. But see, God must, we say, well, God must be mad at me. No, God's not mad at you. Why? Because he paid for what, he paid for that already. God's not mad at you. God never again puts this on us. James, Jesus' brother, writes, and this is one of those verses that you, you'll recognize because you hear us say it all the time. But no one chooses this verse Really, other than us, I don't know why we, nobody chooses this verse other than Melanie and I for, for themselves. But, I'll, but even us, we don't hang on this first part. Where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face some issues, whenever you have bad days and many kind of trials. Because you know that when you're the testing of your faith, it produces something. Your challenge, my wisdom and knowledge as a little kid when I stuck at that fork into the outlet was challenged and corrected. I can't do that. It hurts. It's not good. It taught me differently. It made me better. Well, the Bible says that when we face these things, it produces something in us. And then in verse 4, James writes, let perseverance finish its work. Now let's pause right there and I go back to the story with Emma. This is the verse that you hear me quote when I say to you and we pray and I say that you are whole, complete, and lacking nothing. But see, notice this word at the top. It says, let perseverance have some work. In October, Emma will be 20 years old. We have been saying this for 20 years. Does it change the outcome for me? Not one bit. Because perseverance, the work of God in me and in Melanie, and into Emma will have this outcome because it says that she'll be mature, complete. And this version says not lacking a thing. See, God, the truth of the matter is God's more interested in our character than our comfort. And again, we do that for our kids. We should, if, if you raise kids and your only concern is their comfort, are you going to have issues? You better believe it. You will have the kid that, that nobody wants to be around. You'll have the selfish, the, 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 the I don't even, I can't even, I don't want to say it, but it's, it's not good. Because the Bible says, and we, even on our own kids, that God says he's trying to build character in us. He's trying to make us better. So I want to show you this real quick in the next few minutes. If you want to see how to get through these bad days, I want you, you can go, you can do it later. Go read through the New Testament about Peter. Peter had some bad days. But look what he says about mourning and the tough time. And I'm going to read this out of the message. It's a paraphrased version. I just like the way this guy 
the guy wrote this. He says, I know how this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation. Some of us should be identifying with this. Like, yep, I'm aggravated. Yesterday I was out in the, our side property cutting some trees, like every good property owner getting ready for deer season. And um, I learned two things yesterday. Um, I'm no longer fit to run a chainsaw, and I'm old. Because after about an hour of it, I told Mel, I came inside, like, I'm done. I was completely spent. But during that hour of me learning that lesson, I stayed aggravated. You want to get something done and the chain comes off. You want to get something done and the tree leans the wrong way and falls on another one. It's just more work, and I stayed aggravated. Now, I know those are menial and compared to the aggravations of, that some of you may be walking through now, the, the bad days of life. But look what Peter says in the next part of this verse. He says, pure gold goes, in, goes into a fire, but when it comes out, it's proved to be pure. Why? Because all of the, the bad stuff, the, the, if you watch gold diggers or whatever that gold show is, they take the slag, the dirt, and they heat it up. All that comes to the top, and they scrape off that to leave the pure gold. But Peter says, hey, but your genuine faith, even though you're going through those bad days, when you come out on the other end of it, it's going to be pure. It's going to be, and I love this line, it comes out proven, genuine. Because a lot of us, if you, I, even me, as I walk through this with Emma, I question my faith. Like, am I really believing that this is going to happen? God, I believed in you before and I had faith in you before and I'm still in this situation. Because the devil starts banging on the walls of your faith trying to collapse it so that you can't get through it. Because he knows once you do, then you're going to see this next part of the verse when it says, when Jesus wraps all this up, and he comes back for us. It's your faith, not your gold, not your money, not the stuff that you think you've done that will have, God will have on display. And I love this line. As evidence of what? Of his victory. It's your faith. Your faith is better. Your faith is stronger. And I, if, I'm, if I'm honest, as we walk through this with Emma, we've had our down times. But as a whole, I think for us, our faith with her is just as strong now as it was 20 years ago. That there's other people in this church, other family members who constantly remind us and constantly tell us, hey, it may be, may be getting tested a little bit, but when you come out on the end, it's that faith that's going to be on display when God shows up and does what he's promised that he would do for the last 20 years. You see, this is actually when I think lost people look at those of us who are saved and maybe, again, you're in that bad spot now of trying to figure out how to get through it. And you look at somebody else who's going through something bad. And they're full of joy. They, they've just had a tragic loss in their life. And yet they're happy. They've had a tragic occurrence, a diagnosis, a, a broken relationship. Yet they're still focused on God and serving other people. It makes you ask that question. They want to know, how, how are you okay? How are you serving people in your struggle or in spite of your struggle and not getting stuck in it? 
This is true if you've never experienced this. Surrender will always lead you to serve. Surrender to what? It's exactly what we teach and what's on the, in the foyer on the sign. When you surrender this idea that I need to have a Savior, I need to know God, my God can make me free from my things of the past, He's created me for a purpose, and now I can go serve and comfort those who need to be comforted. Those who are saved serve, and those who are, ser- who are serving bring comfort to people who need the same salvation they experience. They need to know. That's why we tell people one of the most powerful things in this room, even online, is the person and their story that's sitting next to you. I've heard many Sundays where people have come in and we've had a great service, and I think, man, I preached a great one there. And you bump into somebody and say, hey, man, service was awesome this morning. And me and maybe a little bit of ego, yeah, what was it? What was your favorite part? Oh, well, I sat next to so-and-so, and they told me they had been where I, I am now, and they really gave me some good wisdom. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the song. It wasn't the, the wonderful Melanie and announcements and telling us what's going on. It wasn't this wonderful message. It was the fact that you sat down next to somebody and said, I've been where you are. And yeah, you're right, it, it stunk. But look what God did for me. And I came out on the other side of it because I knew I needed God. I knew he could find, he'd bring me freedom. I knew I was here for a reason. And now that I know I'm here for a reason, I can go from mourning in my bad days to being comforting to somebody who is in the middle of their own mess. We can walk through this. The last one and really probably one we've all done in this as we question how do we go from mourning to comfort we do something like this God I need you to fix this situation I'm trusting you I have faith and we pray and grunt and really give God our best prayer and then we go the next day and it doesn't happen the way we wanted and instead of being grateful because God did move or God's pointing us in a direction to get through our mess we go yeah, no, God, that's not how I, I really wanted it. So I'm going to pray again, God. And after I pray again, can you do it this way? Okay, God, I really need your prayer. I, I need you to move. I need your sovereign hand in my life. And we pray and then... Because the problem is we, we keep acting like we think we know what's best. So this idea, God, I really would never just... If, if you can just skip that whole morning thing... If you heard this last week, I want to remind you, the Bible says of these eight, this is not a, like a just pick the one. This is not a smorgasbord of beatitudes. You just pick the one you like. You know, I'll take some grace and I'll take some mercy. Yeah, and I'll take a little bit of joy. No, it's, this, is, this is God saying, actually what it is, is Jesus saying, here's what I'm walking out. You need to do the same. And Jesus himself had a bad day. <laughs> Three bad days. More than we'll ever know, I really believe. I don't think we as humans can even put our minds around. So we struggle going through those bad days. And don't, again, hear me. I fully realize that some of you are walking through some, some extremely tragic circumstances. Some real pain, some real hurt. And, I, and I'm not diminishing that, but the Bible's very clear. There's hope on the other side of this. We stop trying to tell God how to fix it. 
He knows. The Bible even says, God says through the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work is not the way I work. The New Living Translation and the NIV say that my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are, are higher than yours. He's saying, I'm smarter than you. Now, let me ask you this question. And this is coming from a guy who married way up on the intellectual scale. Melanie's way smarter than me, and I would really honestly put her up against anybody. Like, perfect, near-perfect SATs, went to school on scholarships, the whole nine yards. Took Greek and Hebrew and stuff that just confuses me when I struggle with English. So, even as smart as she is, the Bible says you think you can figure it out. You put the smartest person, the highest IQ in the world, and God says, I'm so far in front of you. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you want a God that can fit between your ears? I don't. Because if I can figure it out, he's not that great. But if I just have to have the faith to go, God, you got this figured out, I don't get it. That you're smarter than the people who figured out how to um, launch a rocket into space and then have the same rocket now land in this same 10 square feet standing up on its end. Have you seen the new rockets? The Elon and all the, the, the other guy that's launching rockets, they shoot them up in miles and miles and miles into the, in the space and they come back down and right before they hit the ground, they flip around and land. Not a human on board, computers doing the whole thing. How many of you agree that takes some smarts? There's some smart people figuring that out. But the Bible says even them, if you want a God that fits in between their ears, I don't because he says it's just not the way I work. He goes on to say, for as the sky soars above, go back to that previous one, for as the sky soars above the earth, so the way I work surpasses you. And the way I think is way beyond you. I want to give you some help because I, I get this question a lot, especially at funerals and, and tragic situations, which, honestly, I think it, it's been my honor. I've walked through some of this with some of you. Just some heartbreaking times that I see you now coming out on the other end of this. But I tell people this, listen, I don't have the answers, but I know the one who has them. Amen. And I don't say that as just a trite, flippant answer just to throw out there. Because I'm very honest. I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. And I, I'm willing to admit that. And I'm willing to say in church, hey, I don't have all the stuff in, in the Bible. There's stuff I have to go, you know, I'm going to have to get back to you on that because I don't know. But I'm certain that God sees things. If you're asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm certain that God sees things we don't. I'm certain that he sees things coming that we could never see or never know about. It's beyond our thinking to even operate that way. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah 57. And I've shared, I've shared the, actually I didn't give it to you. Let me read it to you. I put it on here. It says, that, it says this in Isaiah 57.1. And this is not, this is again, this is not another life verse. You don't write this one down for your life verse, but know it's here. 
It it says good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. And then at the end of this verse, it says, No one seems to understand this, though, that God is protecting them from the evil that was coming. Does that answer all of our questions? No. But again, it tells me that God sees things that we don't. That's why we can go from mourning and in mourning have comfort. And again, even though God didn't cause it, the Bible says he can use it. And the truth of the matter is, is this verse right here in Psalm 34. And if I've, I've done funerals for some of you and families, and, and you'll, I'll almost always insert this, because I love, this encompasses everything we need. If your heart's broken, you'll find God right there. Where's there? In this, in this verse, where's there? It's in that bad day, right? It's in that broken place. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. He's right there. Paul writes this, and if you, if you know anything about Paul in the New Testament, next to Jesus, Paul probably had the most horrific and bad days. It says this in 2 Corinthians 1. I'll read this quick so I can finish up. It says, in fact, we expected to die. This is Paul writing. But as a result, we've stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, who's raised the dead. Because he's rescued us from mortal danger, he'll rescue us again. And my confidence is in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And, and he's talking to the church here. And you're helping us by praying for me that many people will now give thanks because God graciously answered prayers. So, so now you're now pointing to God, and you're helping people go from mourning to comfort. So real quick, here's my three. I'm going to give you these three things, and we'll close today. Here's how you walk from mourning to comfort. I wanted to give you something that you can walk out today. You can do right now, because some of you are in this spot. And here's the first thing. Keep your eyes on what's going on in me, not to me. Keep your eyes not on the fact that you're going through the hard time, but what God's going to do and use that time to bring you out better on the other end. You're not denying the reality of the bad day, but you're, you're focusing on how God's working. Again, in 2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul says, but this happened that we might rely, not rely on ourselves, but on God who does what? Miracles. Who does things I don't understand. How does he make a, a, the dead come alive? I don't know, but I want it. How does he fix my situation? I don't know, but I know he will. You see, your bad day can either be the mud you get stuck in or the fuel for your one step. Does that make sense? You can get stuck there and you can quicksand all the way up and you can stay in that spot the rest of your life, in that bad day. Or you can say, no, I'm having a bad day, but that tells me that God's doing something in my life and helping me and giving me my one step from where I am to do what? To get closer to him. I'm one step closer. Yeah, Clint, or the devil's telling me, hey, it's a terrible thing. That person shouldn't have died. This is a terrible thing. It shouldn't have happened to you. Yep. Yep, you're right, but you know what? God's doing something. I'm one step closer, and we just keep moving closer. Or you can stay stuck in the mud. So keep your eyes on what he's doing in me, not what's happening to me. Band, ushers, you guys can go ahead and do your thing. The second thing, keep your mind on this. God always rescues. 
He always rescues. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians 1.10, He did rescue us from mortal danger, and He will rescue us again, and we've placed our confidence in Him that He will, say this with me, He will, con come on, say it with me, He will, come on, one more time, He will, somebody needs to internalize this. Because you may not be in the mess now, but you're going to step in it tomorrow and you can go, well, he did help me, he is helping me, and the Bible says he's going to keep helping me. That's how we go from mourning to comfort, to mourning to victory. Because in your bad day, let me give you this clue, God's past faithfulness is the peace that he's currently working. Did y'all get that? And it's not just his faithfulness to me, it's faithfulness to you. You can draw off somebody else's faith, God's moving in their life, because the Bible says if he does it for them, he'll do it for you. And if he's done it for them, then my peace is he's going to do it for me, right? His peace, God, my peace is the fact that he's currently working. It's what he's working in me. And the last one, if you'll stand with me, I want to give you this one. This is the reason. That we tell everybody, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. You need people around you who you can lean on. That when you go through those bad times, the way you go from mourning to that comforting the Bible talks about is that you lean on your group. You need to have somebody to lean on. God didn't create us to do this by ourselves. God didn't create us to, uh, to be a one-man show. He created us to lean on each other, to help each other. The Bible talks over and over about serving each other. What Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, you're helping us by praying for us. And when you pray for us, then not only are you helping me, but other people are going to turn to God. Because God is answering our prayers. And he's answering those prayers for our safety, to, to put things right, to correct things. This is how God built you. He built you to be in a group. He built you to have people around you that when you're going through those bad days you can lean on them and I believe that that's when healing comes the Bible says you go you can go to people and find healing in, the, in their lives because they've experienced it they've experienced God and the encouragement their, their faith God's faithful in their life is something that he can be giving you peace about because if he did it for them he'll do it for you it's how God built us. Not doing life alone, but you can go from mourning to comforting together, making an internal difference in each other's lives. Now I'm going to pray and I'm going to close and we're going to sing, sing one more song. But before I, before I pray, I always give a chance for people to take a step of faith and say, well, Clint, I need to know Jesus for the first time. The Bible is very clear that if you confess it with your mouth, you believe it in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. He did what he said he was to pay for my sin so I can go to heaven, so I can, my eternity is secure. Then the Bible says just simply this, you just do that. It's a simple prayer, quiet prayer you can have right there. And say, God, I, I just need you. So just real quick, the heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, wave at me real quick. I just want to pray for you. Then I want to pray for all of us. Anybody else? Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, today I receive you 
as my Savior and my Lord. And forgive me, God, for the mess of my life. From today on, I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for you real quick. And then we're going to sing this last song called Christ Be Magnified. That God, you can be magnified in my life and that you're in my life even when I'm in a mess. That you're everything I need. And some of you are going through a place right now and you may be watching online. That's why you're not here. If this is you this morning, this close of this service is for you. Close of this service is that you can just sit and, and, and receive what God has for you. Let him help you go from mourning to comfort. Let him help you come and, and surrender to him so that he hears you. And when he hears you, the Bible says he's going to respond. And when he responds, he's going to impact your life. And when he impacts your life, he's going to impact those around you. He's going to save people. He's going to bring life and healing. And today it's going to happen. So God, today with everybody in this room, I thank you that you come bring peace, life, grace, mercy. Father, that by your stripes we are healed. By your son we are brought joy. And God, today, that you be magnified in our lives. That you are high and lifted up. And God, we receive you today. God, thank you for moving in our lives. We thank you for it now, Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.